0: Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. Low-income older adults and adults with disabilities sometimes make dangerous choices when they cannot afford to properly heat their homes. Moreover, during these winter months, Staying safe and warm at home and while driving is important for this population. Today, my guest is DeShondra Jones, Senior Director of Customer Experience and Stakeholder Engagement at Washington Gas. She's gonna offer ways to increase safety and energy efficiency at home to help older adults manage energy costs. She'll also discuss ways they can prepare for and be safe during these winter months. So welcome, DeShondra, and thank you for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me. What a timely and important conversation. Happy to be here.
0: Yes, well, and last week we had one snowy session, and so who knows if there'll be more to come. So this is definitely the winter heating season. So DeShondra, why should older adults prepare for the winter heating season before it arrives?
1: Great question. So the winter heating season typically runs um, October, November, through uh, the March or April timeframe. And, you know, what we ask at Washington Gas is that customers really take some time and think about and prepare ahead of time, um, taking some simple steps that can help to manage those energy costs, help them make decisions to stay warm, and most importantly, um, stay safe during the winter season.
0: And so let's let's expand on that a little bit. Talk about safety and energy efficiency. A- explain to us why it is especially important in the winter.
1: absolutely. So you know in the winter time, Cheryl, what happens is. Uh, you begin to turn on your furnace or your heating appliances. Folks that have them begin to turn on their fireplaces for the first time. And um, from a safety perspective, the days are getting shorter. There's less light and the the temperatures are colder. You know, what you want to do from a safety perspective is take some time and, um, you know, assess your appliances, get those appliances um checked. We we suggest that happen annually. And then also, you know, do what needs to be done from a personal perspective to um, make sure that you're going to stay warm. So I hope that we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Um, Lots of tips from the Washington Gas perspective on uh, what you can do in your home and lots of tips about what you can do external to your home to stay warm as well.
0: And we definitely are going to do that. And it's obviously as important for the fact, as I had said, about energy efficiency. And in fact, to that point, be, before we get into how Washington Gas can help, have things been done differently because of the pandemic? Has Washington Gas been interacting differently with customers? Tell us about what practices have continued and then at the same time, tell us what hasn't changed for your
1: customers. Absolutely. If I could take a step back, what I want to say um, around the heating season, Cheryl, is that, you know, we typically put out a press release late October, early November to give an idea of what's going to happen from a bill perspective. The last couple of years, what we have seen is that, you know, the heating um, bills were lower than expected. That's going to be a bit different this year. So we put out a press release late October, alerting our customers that this particular heating season, we do anticipate an increase in bills. That's um, for a, d- a few different reasons. One, because uh, the the last few winters have been, although there's been a snowy day or two, have been warmer than normal. We expect that to be different this year. You mentioned last week's snow. The other thing is the actual market price of natural gas has increased over the last year. And so those two things coupled, we expect our customers to see about a 22% increase in their bills compared to last year. So even more important to talk about the the energy efficiency and the um, energy assistance piece. Now, uh, you mentioned what we're doing differently it's unprecedented times. Um, you know, we could spend a, a, a whole nother hour talking about the pandemic and the and the impact of that on families. Um, but what we have what we've done at Washington Gas is really try to use all of our channels to stay connected. So certainly our contact center remains open for our customers. Um, we also uh, interact through social media, Facebook and Twitter, and customers can reach us there as well. That continues. And and even more importantly, our emergency assistance line remains 24-7. And I'm just going to take a second and give that number out because I'll do that a couple of times while we're together. If a customer smells gas or um, believes that there's a leak, we are still, as I mentioned, 24-7. And that number is 844-927-4427. So those things remain in place. What we've done differently is we've gone out into the community. So um, we recently had our first pop-up where customers uh, could come out safely, of course, and speak to a representative if they need to. We've done several more than usual um, interviews uh, with the media, um, such as this on radio, we've done Facebook Lives, we've even um, stood up what I'll talk about more as our Washington Gas Cares program. And a part of that program um, are representatives that are making proactive, that made actual proactive calls to customers who were in a vulnerable state to tell them what um, energy assistance options were available for them, specific to their particular case, and how to take advantage of those dollars. So what we wanted to do and what we continue to do throughout this pandemic is make sure that as many channels are available for our customers and where we can, we're being proactively um, available and reaching out to customers.
0: And are you finding, DeShondra, that this energy assistance that um, is being made available to your customers Is there a long line of people who are really in need of this? Is there an application process that's needed to sign up so that you can make sure that, say, you can have a representative uh, help? Or how does that work? What is the process to make sure that you get the help you need?
1: That's a great question. Um, what we've done is we've packaged all of that information, energy assistance through the different regions, as well as um, the energy assistance and payment arrangements options that Washington Gas has under our Washington Gas CARES umbrella we have um, created a full website dedicated to this where customers can go and get detailed information on how to um, complete the application. But I'll take a second or two if I can to just walk through it because we do have some things, as I mentioned, that are non specific that any customer can take advantage of. And then there are some things that are um, specific to states. So from a any customer who is in need can contact us and set up a 12-month payment arrangement. Um, and that is with no questions asked, that is with no down payment, and um, we will just spread the um, outstanding ballots over 12 months for you to give you a bit of breathing room. Customers can do that by calling our contact center, as I mentioned, the 844-WASH-GAS, or they can do that um, online. Or calling that 844 Wash Gas and not waiting to speak to a representative. You can do it through the automated system. The other thing that's available for customers who may have already qualified for some uh, low income energy assistance, you can get up to 24 months of a payment arrangement in some cases. So we're absolutely um, available to have that conversations with the customer customer to see if they are eligible and set that up for them. Again, those two things are um, for any customer of Washington Gas. Now, if we talk a little bit about the state specific things that are available, I'll start with Virginia. Um, Virginia has a uh, energy assistance program and the easiest way to sign up for that is just by dialing 211. You dial 211 from any phone and you'll receive, you'll get to the call center for Virginia and they'll talk to you about eligibility. They will talk about, um, income requirements, um, residency requirements and, um, those types of things. You can certainly go into the Washington Gas Cares website. And um, just click Virginia and sign up there, but it it could be easier just to dial 211. That way you can get your questions answered. Again, that's for any of our Virginia customers. In um, the District of Columbia, for your District of Columbia listeners, you would dial 311, and that takes you to a similar call center um, in the District of Columbia that will do exactly as I mentioned for Virginia walk you through the application process, tell you about eligibility requirements, and let you know what's available um, for you. In Maryland, while there's not a fancy three-digit number to dial, there is a 800 number that I'd like to give customers, and that's 1-800-332-6347, and that is for the Maryland Department of Human Resources. What they will do is exactly as I mentioned with the other states. What I also want to be sure to say is right now in the midst of this pandemic, each one of those regions also has additional government funds available that might assist customers or may be able to assist customers with rental assistance, with other types of uh, utility assistance. So I implore your uh, listeners if there is a need to absolutely reach out. The last thing I'll mention is in our Washington Area Fuel Fund, which is, um, you know, in collaboration with the Salvation Army. We've been in place since 1983, giving out more than 30 million dollars, and it's um, certainly extremely proud of that program. Washington Gas does the um, all of the public relations piece of it, and it's administered through the Salvation Army. To get more information on that particular program. I would suggest customers go to our WashingtonGasCares.com page or call our contact center and we can directly um, get you the proper location to go to. And now I believe you can even sign up online for that.
0: Good information, Deshondra. Is there a particular website for the information that you've been talking about, whether or not you live in Maryland or the district or Virginia? just want to make sure that people could jot that down as well.
1: Absolutely. That is WashingtonGasCares.com. When you go to that site, you'll see our homepage, and it'll say a little bit about the work that we've been doing in conjunction with our customers. And what you'll do is click on the energy assistance tile and then your specific state.
0: Okay. I also wanted to just verify that with respect to the various payment plans, does the type of services vary depending on the payment plan or is uh, everybody gets the same thing, but the payment is stretched out further over a longer period of time? Just so people know how the payment plans relate to the services.
1: Absolutely. So the payment plans are um, natural gas for our natural gas customers, and it's the bill itself. So without question, if you are in need of a payment plan, you can ask for one up to 12 months, and any customer is a- eligible for that. Um, for our payment plans that stretch up to 24 months and beyond, there are some additional requirements. And um, usually that is that uh, the customer be uh, income eligible and already receiving uh, energy assistance.
0: Okay. Well, I'd like to turn now to some very specific uh, information that folks need to stay safe uh, in their homes. As I was preparing these questions, I was noticing that Washington Gas also provides inspections of natural gas heating equipment in a home. Given the pandemic status, is that still occurring? And if so, how can one be scheduled? Is there a fee? Tell us a little bit more about inspections to keep our homes safe.
1: Absolutely. So a small clarification, Washington Gas does not, uh, as a company, do the inspections. We absolutely recommend that the inspections take place annually. We have accountability and responsibility for the maintenance of the natural gas equipment, everything outside up to the meter. And the customer's responsibility um, begins inside the home for those appliances. So we do recommend that a licensed plumber or a licensed HVAC uh, technician do that. But I will give you a quick tip. You can go to WashingtonGas.com. And while we cannot advertise one over the other and the, and the efficacy of the work, what we will do for you is allow you to put your zip code in and give you a list of contractors in your area, licensed contractors in your area. So if you don't know quite where to start, washingtongas.com is that place. So while again, while we don't do those inspections ourselves, we absolutely recommend that you do them. And if you need a contractor, you can absolutely go to our site and put your zip code in and get a listing.
0: All right. Well, that's good information. And hopefully Omicron will soon be uh, uh, dissipated a bit and people will be able to, to start doing those uh, uh, kinds of activities again, the inspection and call the right uh, vendor. So thanks for that. So what I'd like to do, Dachandra, is get some feedback from you, just so people know, just in general, um, perhaps without at least having the inspection right away. But let's talk about air or furnace filters. How often should these filters be replaced?
1: This is a very good question. I just went through this myself. So we recommend monthly. There are some filters out there and some manufacturers that I say you can go a longer period of time, but we do recommend during the heating season because your furnace or your unit is being used more often that you do change the filter at least monthly. Um, you know, A quick way, a quick reminder to do that is when you get your bill every month, go ahead and change your filter then. So we do recommend that that happen on a uh, on a monthly basis.
0: Okay. Another question is in our homes, sometimes there can be a draft either in the windows or under the door. Talk about how can air be prevented from either infiltrating coming in from the outside or, as my mom used to say, "Shut the door, you're heating up the outdoors." So. Escaping from yes. inside out. I, maybe you've heard that expression as well. But help us know more about what we can do to keep the air out and the heat in.
1: Yes, yes. I smile because that is exactly what um, what I've heard. Shut the door, you're heating up the neighborhood. Um, the So a couple of things, windows and doors. Um, even with newer homes and newer construction, if they're not... Um, sometimes they're not as energy efficient. So those are the things that you really want to take a look at. You want to caulk and weatherstrip your doors and windows. Um, th- these are things you can get from your, you know, everyday home supply store. So you want to, you can either get caulking or you can get the weatherstripping that just goes around the window or um, through uh, anywhere that you can see uh, or feel the air escaping. And you, you want to just uh, close those up. You know, one thing that I also learned is, um, you know, through the where you have pipes and what we call it is plumbing penetration. But where you have pipes, there's space a little bit larger than the pipes that you also want to um, close up. You can do that with spray foam and those types of things. And lastly, one that, you know, our listeners may not know about is behind wall plates or switch plates. There is uh, an opening. So there's even small uh, rubber um, apparatus that you can put right behind there. All of these things are DIY, and all of these can be picked up from your local hardware store. And these things do help quite a bit in uh, keeping the uh, warm air in from in the cold air out.
0: And so often when you go to those hardware stores, all you have to do is tell them what you want. And they're always very helpful in terms of leading you to the right place to to get what you need. So um, I'm glad you said the local hardware store. Another item in our house is our water heater. And I'm sure people don't always necessarily think about the best setting for a water heater. But is that something that people should be thinking more about again in terms of energy efficiency what the best setting is for our water heater
1: absolutely because it could save you a small percentage annually on your your home heating bill so the water heaters when they when they come typically come set at a temperature of about 140. Um, what we recommend and what the Department of Energy recommends is that you lower that just a tad bit, lower that to 120 degrees. It still does the same thing, takes care of all bacteria, still heats the water to a comfortable temperature. But it also, as I mentioned earlier, will save you about three to five percent on your natural gas bill. You know, what I've noticed, I uh, I took a look at our water heater in the basement just recently I uh, I have a daughter who sings the Hamilton the full Hamilton soundtrack I believe while she's taking showers so I needed to do something myself but ours says low medium and scalding and there are little uh, arrows in between each of those so if the temperature is not there if you don't see 120 140 160 then what you want to do is turn it um, closer to that low uh, mechanism or that low setting, and and keep it there as comfortable as you as you can um, potentially make it for yourself. That's going to save a bit on your on your heating bill.
0: Has it ever happened that your your water heater gets too old? That there comes a time when it should be replaced. It starts leaking. Do you have any ideas about that, or is that something that people would need to check elsewhere?
1: Well, you can always check with um, your your certified HVAC technician. That's something they would be telling you in a normal uh, situation annually. But what I will tell you is that from an efficiency perspective, somewhere around 15 years, you should be looking at it. So even if it's still running. Um, you want to think about the efficiency of the appliance, and so that's somewhere around the fifteen-year mark um, is what we uh, what we say. Now, you mentioned pooling, so if you're seeing water around the water heater, pooling around the water heater, or you're seeing rust or those types of things, that's absolutely an indication that you may need to make a change. And what I'll mention. I'll take a, a moment to just uh, say for your listeners that if you are thinking of making a change and going to more efficient appliances at that Washington at our WashingtonGas.com website, you, you may be eligible for rebates. So if you're upgrading to more energy efficient appliances, whether you're in Maryland, DC, or Virginia, you may be eligible for rebates in doing that.
0: DeShondra, let's talk about washing our clothes. This seems like a very practical thing. You know, what do we need to know? But why are washing full loads of laundry and dishes more efficient?
1: You're right. It is practical, but it is a it's a very good question. So it really just cuts down on the amount of water and the amount of times that you need to heat that water. Right. So that's that's from a dishwashing perspective. So we absolutely recommend that you wash full loads of um, dishes from a uh, laundry perspective. We absolutely also recommend full loads there. But what you may not know is we also recommend doing that in cold water. So the difference is, you know, many times folks say you need hot water for this particular garment or warm water for these particular garments to make sure that they're clean. But there are several detergents out there, um, HE or high efficiency detergents made specifically for cold water, and they get your clothes just as clean and you um, are, are doing it more efficiently from an energy perspective. So I would recommend doing that when you can. What I hear you
0: saying is, is that you could really do your whole laundry in uh, cold water, even though sometimes when you look at the label on a particular uh, piece of clothing, it says warm water. Would you agree? What do you think?
1: I absolutely agree. There's no damage done to the garment, and uh, it gets your clothes just as clean.
0: Good advice there. Another thing I think that families sometimes struggle with is what is the ideal temperature to set the thermostat? And even though it's winter right now, help us know, and maybe we can all jot this down, what's the ideal temperature for the thermostat, both in the summer and in the winter?
1: This is a very good question, and I hesitate very often to provide specific temperatures, what i do say is that you want a 10, a 10 degree uh, difference between the temperature so you know 68 in the in the winter time a little bit lower if you can stand it makes uh, sense But, you know, what I want to caveat that with is it has to be what, what makes sense for the individual. There is a story that I like to tell. I I actually read this on the Department of Energy uh, website where a gentleman, uh, an older gentleman was um, looking to be as efficient as possible. And he had set the temperature, I believe, to maybe 62 and he wasn't uh, prepared from a clothing perspective. So his son came over. It, the temperature was sixty-two, which, you know, could work for most, but he had on a t-shirt and he didn't understand why his dad with the t-shirt was, um, his teeth were chattering and hypothermia actually was setting in. And that could happen even in the home. So, so I want to provide the temperature, but I also want to make sure that the listeners know as you decrease the temperature, you want to dress for that. So, um, decrease the temperature to 68, maybe a little lower if you can, if you can stand it. And, um, make sure to put on a layer or two while you're, while you're in the home. You know, and then when you're going to bed or leaving, you can make it a little bit longer. In the uh, summertime, while that's not necessarily heated by natural gas, what I'll say is the same. So if you can stand it, make it a little bit warmer somewhere around that 75 to 78 temperature and then dress for that in the home. Um, I just want to be extremely um, clear in, in saying while you're doing this, make sure that you're dressing appropriately as well and taking care in, inside the home.
0: To that point, Deshondra, if, if people are away, they're going to be away for an extended period of time, um, should they just automatically uh, set their uh, thermostat at a particular temperature, whether it be summer or winter?
1: I would say decrease it. I would say set it a little bit lower if no one's going to be in the home. You know, they have the programmable thermostats now, and they they even have those that recognize when no one is in the home and uh, decrease or increase the temperature depending on season. So I would absolutely recommend that if um, it's within the budget to to switch to a programmable thermostat, it makes it a little bit easier. And then to your point, Uh, when you're not home or going to be gone for the day, you can lower that temperature and then increase it as you're making your way back to the property.
0: All right. So let's talk about appliances. I understand there's something called the Energy Star label. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that means and why it's important in connection with appliances?
1: Absolutely. So Energy Star is a program that was started by the Department of Energy. And what it means is uh, that the appliances are um, energy efficient. So you have to go through several checkpoints as a manufacturer to to get this designation. But what it means is that it's more efficient. And um, while it may cost uh, a few dollars more, you will always make those dollars up in savings by using the appliance. And if that's the case, you get that ENERGY STAR label. They even have apartments and homes that are being built with the same label now.
0: And is that then true of everything, your refrigerator, your dishwasher, your stove, uh, your washers? Is that ENERGY STAR label applicable to all of these appliances?
1: Yes, it absolutely is applicable to all the appliances in your home. And as I mentioned, they've even expanded outside of the home. But specific to this conversation, all of the appliances that we've talked about, your um, water heater, your HVAC unit, your dishwasher, your refrigerator, your washer and dryer, all of those things.
0: Another topic that I'd like to cover is carbon monoxide detectors. Explain to us why they're important, where they should be installed. Tell us about batteries in terms of how often we should check them and how to do that. When should we replace? It's so important. And there've been serious and tragic accidents occurring in connection with carbon monoxide. So we really want to learn more about that from you.
1: Well, I think it's first important for me to say that, uh, carbon monoxide is a odorless colorless toxic gas. So you can't, um, and it's really heavy. So you can't smell it and you uh, can't see it, which is what makes it so dangerous. And what it comes from is when fossil fuels are not burned off completely. So the, the Consumer Protection, the Product Safety Commission, recommends putting CO detectors outside of every bedroom in your home. It also recommends installing smoke alarms, and I know we'll talk about that a little bit more, on each level of your house and inside every bedroom. For both of these, these devices, but common monoxide detectors specifically, um, they uh, can be plugged in. The ones that I have in my home actually plug into the outlet and then they have a backup battery. The backup battery lasts for, in some cases, many, many years. Um, and we'll make a noise when you need to test or when you need to replace it. I'll tell a quick story. I um, moved into a, a townhome and I put the uh, carbon monoxide detectors, as I mentioned, in each of the bedrooms and the it was going off. And I didn't, at that time, I didn't know if it was going off because there was a carbon monoxide leak, because we had recently moved into the property, it was older, or if there was a battery issue. So I immediately called the fire department. This was in the middle of the night. Nobody in my family wanted to get up and go outside, but we did. And they did the testing. They came within moments. Um, they were not upset. And what the fire department said to me is that, um, what folks need to do is anytime there's a question, call. Anytime you um, want to understand whether it's a battery or if there's a leak, call. It's better to be safe than sorry. So, you know, that's um, that's my, my public service announcement as it relates to carbon monoxide detectors and then for smoke detectors, you do want those in every room of the house as well.
0: Okay, well, and I wanted to ask you one quick question. You, you talked about the origin of carbon monoxide. Besides the detectors, is there anything else that you should do to prevent getting carbon monoxide in the
1: first place? Well, you know, one of the things that we say at Washington Gas, and this is is a safety precaution during the winter as well, is that you never want to use an oven or uh, a range top to, to heat your home. You know, using the oven... Um, What happens is you're continuously burning the tips and it's using up the indoor oxygen, which could ultimately lead to the escaping of carbon monoxide. So you definitely want to not do that. And then the second thing is, and I should have mentioned this earlier, but also along with your appliances, if you have a fireplace in your home, you want to get that serviced on an annual basis as well. Because you know you you want to make sure that the um, flutes are clean and that there's no um, you know buildup there because that could also be potentially an issue. So all of it goes back to that annual inspection.
0: Well, and thank you for saying that because in terms of fireplaces, many people have more gas fireplaces, even multiple ones. That's we have three of them in our home, and uh, so that too is something we really need to be cautious about. That uh, it's serviced properly as well, because that can be a, a, a cause for excess carbon monoxide in our homes. Is that
1: correct? That is absolutely correct. What you want to know though, um, most gas fireplaces, we have a couple of them in our home as well, are ignited by electricity. So if there's a power outage the gas, there's a, a safety mechanism that automatically shuts off the gas. But again, as we've talked about multiple times today, two things one you want to if you can have all of your appliances serviced annually and that will get ahead of any um, concerns that might be there and if for any reason you smell gas or you think you smell gas you want to give us a call at 844 wash gas or 844 4427 immediately and then leave the area or leave the area and then call and i apologize
0: well, DeShondra, you mentioned a moment ago about smoke alarms, so give us some more information about where they should be installed, and is there a different piece of advice or tip regarding how often batteries should be checked and replaced, and how do we know when that should take place? What, what do we need to know about smoke alarms?
1: Great question. So smoke alarms um, actually should be on each level of your home and inside every bedroom of your home. You know, you want to check the batteries monthly in those smoke alarms and you want to replace them at least twice a year. So one of the rules of thumb that that I use is um, if you're in a part of the country that has daylight savings time, when that change happens, change your smoke alarm batteries.
0: All right. And You had mentioned already, and I thank you because I was going to ask you about why it's dangerous to use an oven or a range to heat a home. Is that sometimes uh, a problem? Could it be a problem?
1: It could absolutely be a problem, and we never want to see that happen. So that's just um, from a safety perspective, uh, a solid no-no. So, you know, as I mentioned, the consistent use of the oven or the, the burner could cause potential problems, potential um, use, or using up the oxygen in the space, which then could potentially result in carbon monoxide um, escaping. So we absolutely, absolutely um, say do not heat your home with your oven or um, or your range. And I also just mentioned um, that I don't recommend putting anything inside the home from a generator perspective if you're... Uh, You want to make sure that those are outside as well, because that could be a potential carbon monoxide problem as well.
0: One thing I wanted to ask you, especially given the fact that we've already had snow and we were barely into the new year, what do consumers need to know about cleaning snow from a gas meter during, during a snowstorm?
1: You definitely want to make sure that you are keeping the uh, gas meter clear of snow. So take a brush or your hand and and, uh, make sure that's clear. What it will um, protect against is any potential disruptions in in service. So we do ask that you keep those appliances clear. Um, I also will just make a a note and say that you don't want to use anything hard or um, shovels or anything like that to clear the snow often we suggest just a broom or maybe a hand duster or something like that something soft that will get that snow right off of the meter
0: any other tips maybe that i missed in so far as what we need to know in our home anything else that washington gas provides information about or tips about or recommendations that you would like to share with
1: us you know, I'll just run through them quickly again. And we did mention most of these, but the, the annual inspection, um, replacing your filter every month, the warm setting or low setting on your water heater, uh, the, at 120. You know, we, we did used to say short showers, five minutes, but you know, I personally think that's unrealistic. I mentioned my daughter just a little, a little while ago, but as short of showers as possible. Um, you want to caulk and weatherstrip and insulate openings where you think air might infiltrate your home. And those common places, again, are doors and attics, windows, the plumbing penetrations that we talked about in the electrical outlets. Um, and then when you're away from home, as we mentioned before, turn turn down the temperature about 10 degrees. That'll save you quite a bit. And then, you know, I'll just mention the washingtongas.com website again, so that if you do need to either look for a contractor or you're looking to replace, there's a wealth of information there as well.
0: Well, I also wanted to note that Washington Gas on the website had some information about precautions to take during a snowstorm. And I really applaud your uh, company for for doing that. Can you just outline a few of those things that are on the website in terms of why precautions are important and what should be done during, especially driving in a snowstorm.
1: Absolutely. I'd be happy to. So, you know. Thinking about the space in between cars, you usually want one, at least one car length between you and the car in front of you. During icy conditions or wintry conditions, you want to increase that. So we say anywhere between six and eight seconds between you and the car in front of you. So that's about a a car and a half or two cars. Um, You can never be too safe there. Uh, A couple of other things that we mentioned you know, when entering and exiting buildings, I call it three-point contact to make sure you have two feet on the ground and at least one um, hand on a handrail, making sure to use those and be careful where you step to make sure that your, your footing is secure. Um, you can't say enough to, to dress for the winter weather if you're outside. And that also includes making sure you wear the proper type of shoe um, that can, can you know be or have a grip in ice and snow. You mentioned driving, so I'll also say that you want to just watch for others. You know, you you may uh, believe yourself to be an expert driver, but those there are those folks around you as well. So you just want to watch out for the folks around you and give yourself as much time as you need to to stop. Um, you know, and you know, as I mentioned, at least two, sometimes even three car lengths of space between you and the car in in front of you. Um, a couple of other things that I'll mention, you know, the this time of year you do see the sand trucks and the the folks pouring salt on the on the roads to to make the roads more safe. And people do tend to try to go around them. You you want to keep the same amount of space that we just talked about, but just also keep in mind that their job is to clear the road ahead. So going around them, you're putting yourself most times in a more precarious situation because that road has not yet been cleared rather than just slowing down a bit and giving them the space they need to do, you know, need to do the work. And two other things, just make sure to keep the snow clear, from your your the top of your car and and your headlights and such, that's a safety issue for you. Um, you want to be able to see folks in, in front of you, and you also want folks to be able to see you. So that's why you want your brake lights and your and your headlights clear. And I'm sure we've all been in a space where there's a person in front of us, usually a, 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 a tractor trailer, who hasn't cleared the snow. And the next thing you know, there's this sheet of, of snow coming towards you and your vehicle. That's never safe, so... You know, I always say do what we can to um, practice that that safe behavior.
0: Well, and and thank you for mentioning also about braking. And I think what happens sometimes is especially folks maybe who come, who live around in this area who've never driven in snow. Can you talk a little bit about the best way to brake to avoid skidding? Because I think as soon as people start skidding, They really slam on the brakes, which sometimes can make their car start spinning um, or their wheels lock up. Can you talk a little bit about what people need to know?
1: So basically, you know, you just want to brake gently. You, You mentioned you slam on the brakes out of panic and then you turn your car into a tailspin. But you want to brake gently and that's going to avoid the skidding. If you start if you start to slide, they also say that you turn your wheel in the direction that the back of your car is going. That tends to help. And if your wheels start to lock up, come up off of the brake, ease off the brake just a bit. So um, what you know I'll mention also helps with that is keeping that space between you and other cars so that you have ample space to um, course correct.
0: Yes, I think so many times, uh, and I can speak personally, It's I really get very nervous around people who are driving so fast and the speed is very uh, dangerous and can really hurt people. And particularly now, I, you know, with the, with the snow being here and probably sometime later this month or even into February. So um, this is really good advice. I also wondered... Again, thinking about your driving your car maintaining traction, especially like driving on hills and we have a few in this area. What about cruise control or overdrive being used on icy roads? Any advice that people should know about that?
1: Yes. So, you definitely want to use your lowest gears to to maintain traction on especially on on hills. Um, You know, I live in a neighborhood called um, where we have a horizon and the the, coming into my development, there is a huge hill. Um, And what happens is you have to, you know, increase a little bit, um, uh, accelerate just a tad bit going to the hill so that you don't have to use your uh, gas going up the hill. So as I mentioned, you wanna use your low gears to maintain traction and you don't want to speed up going up the hill because in icy conditions, most times that's gonna cause you to skid. Um, and then from a cruise control perspective, I absolutely do not recommend that in, in-, in- inclement weather because you do not have full control over your uh, vehicle in those situations. You wanna have the ability to ease um, into using the brake and the acceleration, and you definitely want to have um, control of the car. So that is not recommended.
0: And I guess one final question I would add too you often, as you're driving down the road, you see about when you're driving over bridges and overpasses, and they say that those get icy before maybe even the regular pavement. I would assume also what you would recommend is to slow down and be aware that if you're crossing and there are a lot of overpasses and bridges in this area that one should be cautious. Would you, would you agree?
1: Absolutely. They do freeze first. You know, the bridges and the overpasses what happens is air is underneath, so that there's cold air underneath and on on top. Um, rather than if it's a flat road and there's just air on top. So those absolutely freeze first, and you definitely want to um, use caution going over those. There may be times where, where folks are pretty, um, uh, consider themselves experts driving in snow, but there's not a vehicle that, that um, can be expertly driven in ice. So you just want to take precaution.
0: Actually, probably the best advice is to just stay home while it's snowing and let the snow plows and sanding trucks do their job and, and work remotely. And uh, that's probably uh, the safest advice, not only for older adults, but for everybody. And uh, so hopefully we won't have too much more snow this year. But um, as I said, with the new year, we're off to a good start. Any final comments in terms of driving in the snow or dealing with the, the snow that you wanted
1: to add I did want it my final comment was going to be exactly what you said the the best defense against all of this is to to stay home and if you can if you can stay off the roads um, we are in a position in in our current situation with uh, the the pandemic where folks can work remotely and have uh, are a little bit more used to being home so if you can stay home stay home that it would be my initial advice.
0: And then finally, finally, uh, Deshandra, any additional resources you want to share uh, to learn more about energy efficiency and winter preparedness, or just reiterate what you already shared with us uh, throughout this, this interview?
1: Yes, I want to reiterate a couple of things. I want to reiterate our washingtongascares.com website, it is a wealth of information if there are contact numbers there are links to energy assistance applications there are um, you know just uh, sites that you link to to set up for our uh, payment arrangements and one thing I didn't mention earlier but that can also help during the he- heating season is our budget billing plan, which allows customers to know exactly what their billing amount is going to be every month. And it takes those high heating costs and spreads them out throughout the year. So it allows for you to budget and know exactly what you're going to um, uh, be looking at from a a heating bill perspective. So I I definitely want to reiterate that. I want to reiterate that if you smell gas and we do send out um, a scratch and sniff a couple of times a year and we um to to give customers uh, a sense of what you know a gas leak may uh, smell like we actually put a injection into our natural gas so that if it leaks it smells like rotten eggs so that it's discernible if you smell that please call us at 844 Washington Gas um and if it is an emergency please contact uh the fire department That emergency department is available 24-7, seven days a week for our customers. Um, Other than that, I am always available for questions or concerns and um, am happy to share with you so that you can share with your listeners my contact information.
0: All right. Well, I want to thank DeShondra Jones with Washington Gas for joining me today. And if you want to learn about aging matters, You can visit our website at agingmattersonline.com, and of course, if you visit this site, you can access all of the Aging Matters radio and TV show content, including this very, very helpful and timely and informative program, and it's also on Apple and Spotify, so be sure and check out that site. Aging Matters is also produced in association with Ink Mouth Media, and you can learn more about that company at inkmouthmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Aging Matters today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week.